start to put tension on my string drawback, I was like, okay, I'm gonna it. It's him. You can look at the horns when he's dead. I'm, I'm in, you know, in the zone. Let the arrow go is perfect. Uh, when they lose their front shoulders, yeah, you start, yeah, that's how you know. You're listening to the White Cat Outdoors podcast, bringing you to the table where we talk about the outdoors. What's going on, everybody? It is episode 61 of the White Cat Outdoors podcast, and Nick and Tom are both here hanging out in the studio. How you doing? Hey, everybody. And in honor of tax... Nope, Tom's getting right after it. Uh, In honor of tax season, we're going to talk a little bit about taxidermy tonight nick actually did we you guys listened a couple weeks ago obviously the final deer camp series yeah about nick's monster dominant spike and yep, that's the one yeah what, so what'd you do with it well so you know it was uh my first buck at the uh headquarters you know i've killed other bucks but this was my first one at the headquarters long time coming it's actually um, kind of funny this was supposed to be a secret from me and yeah i blew it myself <laughs> uh anyways but yeah it was a very special buck to me just because it was my first one at the headquarters, the amount of work that has gone into this buck, not necessarily like physically, but just years of the headquarters, building the cabin, everything that led up to it was pretty special to me. And so I wanted it was a lot of physical work. There was, well, as far as I, I meant, I get, a cabin, food yeah, plots, I guess I was stands. talking more like the walk to the stand and everything, but like, oh, yeah, no. if you look over the years, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of uh, blood, sweat and happy tears. <laughs> Uh, and anyways, basically I wanted to do something special with this deer and, you know, a Euro mount just wasn't what I was looking for. And I just, yeah, we already got a couple yeah, of euros, several Euro mounts in there. Plates. Yeah. And the work that's behind a Euro mount. Yeah. There's it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other route was, you know, a shoulder mount. And as you know, shoulder mounts starting to get real expensive. I mean, five hundred is really, really cheap. Most yeah. are six, seven hundred plus. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't. I haven't shoulder mounted a buck yet, and I wasn't going to do it on a spike <laughs> to keep in a cabin, um, or in the man cave, if you will. Mm-hmm. Basically, because it, you know, it's there's no electricity. It's you know off the grid. Just wanted to get a, a buck up there, but didn't want to just do a. Want to do something special yeah. for it, but so not I, too special. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, started trying to brainstorm uh, what I should do, and Tom actually brought up the point. He said, "Hey, there was this thing I saw online of this like shoulder mount that you can like put your rack into, and that was pretty much all Tom gave me. We had no idea <laughs> any further than that. So we started searching online and found a company called Revolution Innovations." Uh, and they have a product called the Man Cave Buck. And basically, it's a reproduction shoulder mount um, done out of foam and hand-painted. Uh, so every single one you would purchase is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just plug whatever rack you want into it. So it's basically, and it looked really good online. And basically, all you do, buy the Man Cave Buck. It comes with a kit. on Very how to, reasonably priced as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, and that's basically what we'll... What, I liked about it was it was a little bit more expensive than a euro, but considerably cheaper than a shoulder. Um, 
but basically it just gave you a list of instructions on how to cut the skull plate, slap it in, and it mm-hmm. actually says you could switch it out. So mm-hmm. if you get another buck that you want to put in there, throw another works out one. Great, in. yeah. Um, it took it, us what maybe an hour tops yeah, in the barn. Exactly, it was very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it so much. Took some pictures of it. You know, a couple people have been at the house have been extremely impressed with the quality. And my first thought was, well, we barely knew what this company was. It took us forever to find out after Tom had given the garbage <laughs> description. <laughs> but anyway, so we searched out to find, get a hold of them, and bring them on the podcast tonight. And we got Jason, Brian, and Doris. Um, they're all together with Revolution Innovations. Um, they're going to tell us all about their products because it's they're, they do a lot more than just the man cave buck. Mm-hmm. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And maybe yeah, we'll you guys... Get them on the phone. Yeah, maybe if you guys have you know a buck that's a really nice buck or a first buck that you can't afford to put 700 bucks into, but you don't want just the skull plate, maybe this is going to be the option for you. So uh, we'll get them on the horn and we'll talk to them for it. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Is this Jason or Brian? This is his father, Brian. Okay. Uh, my name's Nick. Um, I've got my other two partners here. We've got Frank. How's it going? And Tom. Hi, Frank. Hey, how's it going, Brian? So we got Nick, Frank, and John. Is that right? Tom with a T. Like a Tom <laughs> turkey. I am old, and so that's pretty close for me. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm close enough. Well, there's no, there's no other Johns here, so it'll work out. <laughs> so um, you can hear us all right. We can hear you. Um, yeah. let me just, there's no background noise here. Um, so I know, I think it was Jason I was talking to, um, through Instagram and he's there as well, correct? Yes, he is. And you have your wife, Doris? Uh, <laughs> she's spraying some man cave bucks in the other room, but we can, I can certainly get her. Well, it's, it's up to you guys. Um, I think we, as long as like you guys aren't talking over each other, um, it shouldn't be too bad. Um. But, I mean, if she's part of the storyline, you want to bring her in, that's great, too. So whatever you guys okay. want for that. And, I mean, if she wants to pop in or whatever. Okay. Um, but uh, whenever you guys are ready, if you want to just kind of explain uh, to us and your listeners, you know, what Revolution Innovations is and uh, how you guys got started. Okay. So we're ready to go? Yep. Yeah, whenever you guys are ready. Okay. All right. Revolution Innovations is a branch of Revolution Taxidermy Supply. And so what my background is I started in taxidermy, and then from there I started sculpturing animals, and one thing has led to another. I started inventing things, and now I'm kind of a crazy, mad, wild sculptor, inventor, scientist. (laughs) In many many different areas. I mean, we did the first licensed chainsaw carbon school in the United States. We have a patent on the perfect kill anatomy. I can tell you within a quarter of an inch, where to shoot a deer, no matter how high you are in a tree, no matter what the angle is, it's all scientific. And it, it, like I say, it's patented. We've what did you call that product? It's called the Perfect Kill Shooting System. In fact, our patent attorney is out of Pennsylvania, oh. and I, I sold it to Reinhardt. It is not on the market now. It's kind of, he's mothballed it. So hmm. uh, that's something I'm working on because that's the biggest thing. I've got a lot of inventions. And that's the biggest thing that I've ever invented because the bottom line is it'll teach people to kill deer as opposed to cripple them. And, and it's all scientific. I mean, because my background of taxidermy and sculpturing, I have probably spent more time studying the anatomy of a white-tailed deer from a sculptor's and a taxidermist's perspective than anybody else in the world. 
and from that, and then being an archer, crippling deer, all of that, answering questions, I've really spent a lot of time studying the anatomy of where the deer are at, or where the anatomy is, and where it isn't, and the angles, and, and I came up with a scientific shooting system, like I say, which is patented, which needs to be taught in hunter safety. And if I can get through a lot of my business things I'm doing now, that is uh, one of my number one goals in life to do that. But I've got a million things like this man cave buck. That's another thing. I yeah. Think so so but. as a shooting system, or, or is this like a, a software or? Um, no, here's what, here's what it is basically. I, I'll, if you want, I'll be glad to explain it to you. Okay, oh, we'd love to. Okay, if I put a paper plate on the wall and I, and I put you back at 40 yards and you aim at it, and I ask all three of you guys, where are you going to aim at on the plate? Every one of you is going to say, well, in the middle of the plate. Why? Because if you shoot high, low, right, or left, you still have the greatest degree of uh, odds to be able to hit the plate. If I put a deer in front of the three of you guys, and I put you back at 40 yards, the deer at 40 yards, and I turn the deer, and I say, each one of you not knowing where the other one's going to say, go up and put a dot on that deer with the Sharpie pen. One's got a red, green, and black. You can't see it, and put it on there. You're going to come up with three different spots, and then you're going to get talking about it, and then you're going to end up saying, no, yours is wrong because of this, and yours is wrong because of that. So what all I did is I, I, I took that question, and I said, how can I scientifically answer that question, unarguably, so nobody can argue with me where the perfect shot is? So to answer that, it's based on three principles. The first one is perfect anatomy. You have to know where the anatomy is. Well, that's where me being in the blood and guts and blowing lungs up. I was at the ATA, and I had an actual dead deer there, and I blew the lungs up for everybody to actually see this. So you have to deal with that. And that's a whole argument in itself. Where are the lungs at in the deer? Where does the liver sit? Where's the heart? But basically, once you come to a non knowing perfectly anatomically on a deer where the heart, lungs, and liver are, I call that the vital organ group. That's what I'm shooting at, okay? So think of that as your paper plate. So all we have to do is find where the middle of the paper plate is. Well, not quite so easy. A paper plate is one-dimensional flat. When you're looking at these organs and you're shooting down in a tree stand or at an angle from behind, all of a sudden the paper plate being three-dimensional, you don't have a spot to shoot at. Because if, if I put the deer broadside, you'd point where the heart is. Some people shoot up a little higher for the lung. But as soon as you turn deer and as soon as you go up in a tree, the whole game changes. So what I did was simply this, and this is called the center kill, what do we call it, Jay, the center kill? Center kill technology. You like that? We got technology in there. There you go. <laughs> We're big time. You're dealing, you're, de you're dealing with the biggest mom and pop business you've ever dealt with. <laughs> yeah. Pinpoint, pinpoint, well, that's the next one because there's three points. First one's perfect anatomy. You got you to get through that, and trust me, my buddy out there at the Western Pennsylvania School of Taxidermy in Pennsylvania, he argues with me to this day that I'm wrong where the lungs are at. But anyway, once you have that, here is what I came up with. It is not a flat plane like you're shooting at a plate or a regular target or, or as a 3D target. And I sculpture the Reinhardt archery targets for a living. Every one of them I sculpture. I put the shooting kills on them, and I'm the first one to tell you 3D archery teaches people to cripple deer because you shoot at the kill zone the same no matter what the angle of the deer is. And the kill zone changes as the angle changes of the deer. Mm -hmm. So I know that's getting complicated, but, but here's the next thing. Picture the heart surrounded by the lungs and the liver behind it. You got that three-dimensional. If you could bring that in out of the deer and kind of put it in space, where it kind of hovered right there in the room. And then 
try to find where the center of that is. And what you'd find, the center of that is going to be directly below the backbone, straight down, because now you've got the middle of it, because it's a three-dimensional object, it's not flat, and put a marble there. So, and where you come up with that, it's basically behind the back part of the heart, up about an inch, an inch and a half above the back part of the heart. The heart sets forward about a 70 degree angle. You go straight up from that, and you put a marble in there, okay? So now you take that marble that's in the heart, lung, and liver, set that back in a deer target, so you can't see it, right? Now what you do is you put a grid on the side of the deer, which is nothing but a bunch of inch dots, which you cannot see. There's a, they're, they're horizontal and they're vertical. And I, I know this is getting complicated, which is why Reinhardt didn't want to do it, because it's what, but the bottom line is, this, this is scientifically right. So now, if you're up in a tree, for you to shoot at that marble, and say the deer's angled at 42 degrees, whatever angle you want, whatever height it is, doesn't matter. Your object is, if you can hit that marble in the middle of the vital organ group, directly below the backbone, you're shooting at the largest kill area possible. So that if you miss, and I shoot my bow all the time, and I am a bad shot, I got target panic, and so I, I understand all the needs of this. I want the biggest target possible so I can miss the, the greatest amount and still kill the animal. Because the goal of this system is, is the deer dies within 10 seconds and travels no farther than 200 yards. I mean, that's the goal of what this is all leading to. But anyway, so now if you would shoot at that marble, and I actually did this. I put a marble in between there and my dot. I shoot the arrow through. I see what it is. So then on that grid, you would find that I have to hit a certain dot that if the deer's angled away, I have to hit it back farther. And if I'm up in a tree, I have to hit it higher. So then what we actually do is we've, we use two different systems. We use one where we use a, laser, a, a range finder. And from that range finder in a mathematical system, that tells me the distance and then the angle with the Pythagorean theorem can tell me how high it is. So I know how far back and how high it is, and I literally put a toothpick in the deer. So when you go and shoot it, you want to know whether you've got a bullseye or not. You literally go to where the toothpick is. You have a clear scoring card. It's basically a business card that's clear, that's designed, that hooks onto your arrow, and it pivots, it's clear, and it shows you where the toothpick is. And the distance you are from the toothpick determines whether you get a 10, a 5, an 8, or so on. So, and that is, now what's the three names? That's the center kill technology is the marble, perfect kill shooting system is the name of the whole thing, the anatomy is the first one, and the pinpoint perfect is that we're using a toothpick for the bullseye. And the object is, is if you were to go out and do this and shoot at these and learn it, just like shooting a basketball for a three-pointer from the side or from on front, you learn, so when a deer's up in the tree and he's there, you pull your bow back. Well, guess what? By the time you pull the bow back, he's going to be in a different position a lot of times if he takes a step and turn than he is when yeah. you went to shoot. So now you got to shoot back. you got to shoot high. Where is it? If I go and shoot a target right now and I do that, I always shoot too far forward because my mind has set for shooting at a deer all the years because I'm, I'm 64 and I made all these targets. I do all the things wrong because I've got muscle memory that I've developed wrongly, and I don't even use the system I've got because I invented it, but it's not on a product out in the market to go on a course where people practice it. So I immediately go right behind the shoulder, halfway up between there, the, goes there, and I see on TV all the time, if you watch this, you'll see people make perfect shots when they're angled away, and they don't get the animal, and they, they don't know what it is. Well, what happens is the farther forward the lungs go on the deer, the thinner they get. And then what you've got there is a lot of muscle, 
So they'll either hit one lung in out the front, which the deer can live or it can die, other factors of blood vessels yeah. of the single lung, or they'll go between the ribs in the lung and go right out the front. So, and I actually shot a deer one time down that I hit one lung, and I killed it a month later with my gun. So, 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 so anyway, a, I know that's yeah. way more than you wanted to hear. Oh, no, that's something, that, something we didn't even know was a thing to talk well, about because, like you said, it's not out there. Um, but it's, it no, sounds like we, it's a... Like a sh- like a practice practice or like a shooting device, I guess, to use to train yourself. Correct. It's a 3D archery target. Okay. That you would go through and you would shoot it. And I've got a number of ones that I made. Like I said, around, and one of them is actually the organs, where your arrow goes through on the other side. And you put a bag target behind the organs. So you pull the bag target away, and you can actually see where your arrow going through the organs. It's the coolest thing. So it's just so more of like a a more real life situation. Oh, yes practice yes. as opposed to just shooting a bag or a mckenzie target yes yeah of course we, we don't talk mckenzie yeah reinhardt of course my bad Reinhardt. yeah yeah so <laughs> but uh no it, it is it's to make again the whole purpose of this is to teach people so we don't cripple deer i mean i raised deer i spend like i said all this time doing them and even though i hunt them and i eat them and i like it i hate it when i cripple one and they don't get one i mean i just i hate it yeah, every, I mean, and every so that's step, that's the worst feeling. It is. It is. I've had before, my wife's hunted, she's got four deer with a bow before we had kids. We got six kids, and we're ready to take the bow when we get one and cut the bow in half. I mean, I just kind of go and kind of lose it. So, But I've had to learn the hard way on a lot of these things. So hopefully, when we get on top of our business with a lot of these products, if, if we talk about them, that I've got to get, so uh, they're going to be manufactured by somebody, if not me, that is uh, one, the number one thing that I still want to accomplish in my life because what I want to do is go around and have seminars at sports shows and then actually have targets up there and have people shoot. You know, I'd shoot and say, what did they hit? What organ did they hit here? So they'd actually have a – it would be interactive. It would be fun. And we'd go through. I'd ask questions. And then by the time it's all done, we'd go back through and then answer, and they'd get to see things. And I'd actually have a deer there with the lungs for them to see. And it would be super, super, super fast-moving and very interesting. For sure, I think there's, there's a lot of misconceptions yeah. that are out there. Lots. Oh, well, was, that's what I was going to say. Is there's a lot of people that don't understand where to hit a deer unless it's standing perfectly broadside. I mean, just in the people I know growing up, there's been several occasions where you know a deer was quartering two seems like it's the most common uh, problem shot. Um, and you know, it probably be like you said, they they haven't been trained properly um, over the years and just don't know where they're supposed to be shooting. No, that's absolutely right. And the literature that's out there is basically somebody's opinion. Just like when I put the kill zones on the archery targets, well, they're designed. They've got to fit. You know, I've got to – I have to sculpture targets with a lot of things in mind. It's got to fit in a certain size box. i got to deal with how much foam can be put in it. So I have to change the anatomy for money reasons. And then the kill zones have got to be as big as they can be to score good. So, I mean, the archery targets are not – they're not scientifically, and then plus you're shooting at the same bullseye, bullseye in the same place, no matter what the angle of the target is. Yeah, yeah, because it's so a point that, system, not for killing. So yep, it trains yep, people wrong right. all summer long. No, and I had a guy who's one of the biggest inventors in the archery industry tell me because he went. I, I had one time that I set this up before I sold the business to Reinhardt, and his idea was before the hunting season you should have a course set up because we're whitetail deer here in Wisconsin, and the whole course of your 30 targets is nothing but that deer at different distances and different angles and different heights 
so you can go through it so you're getting your mind all ready for hunting season of knowing where to shoot and that's i think is just a brilliant idea for sure so but hopefully that's coming hopefully no i'm sure it will you'll bring it to fruition i'm sure um something i think people need for no doubt yeah so we'll see so i guess i didn't realize that's where you got started was uh sculpting targets um, no, I started out as a taxidermist in 1974. Okay. I just started doing taxidermy, and one thing led to another. You know, a taxidermist buys a foam form. Back then, yep. I'm so old, we used paper forms to begin with. There wasn't even foam forms. I actually made them for the place that I apprenticed with. But from there, then I, you know, and I'm one of these crazy guys, like I say, I always want to do this, and I want to do that, so I get a million irons in the fire and don't get nothing completed. So I'm basically a prototype maker. But what happened is I learned to sculpture animals for taxidermy. And so that's teaching me like an archery target is the fur on the outside. It's got to be so big to stop an arrow. we got to save so much foam. It's got to make it thicker here, thinner there. And you can get away with murder because it's just cosmetic. It's aesthetic. It's what it looks like. And you got to get yeah. it done. For taxidermy, i got to make the skin fit. I mean, the eyes got to be the right width. got to be the right angles, the expression of the nose, the lips, the measurements. So I've got a background that's unique to anybody else in the United States that I've done. I've done taxidermy for a full-time living, a full-time anatomy sculptor, a chainsaw carving, and doing archery targets. And so I've got a lot of, uh, it's not talent, I've just done things that nobody else has ever done before because I'm always trying to do things. And that's come the Man Cave Buck is one of them, you know, just another one of many that we've done that's kind of just up and coming right now. Yeah, that was you guys. Yep, that was the the whole reason uh, we wanted to have you guys on was that um, I think I saw your guys' booth at Harrisburg probably two years ago now. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Harrisburg. I've been to a few different shows. Have you been uh, to the ATA before? No, we're not, we uh, we have not. We don't have our ATA uh, membership. Uh, we were looking to get it this year, and then with the show being canceled, okay. Um, okay. just didn't. Um, but I'm, you guys were at Harrisburg, correct? Or was it? No, we no we weren't. Um, have you guys been to the uh, like Iowa or not the Iowa, the Ohio Deer and Turkey Expo. They did you. They did do Iowa. Yes, Iowa. Yep. Okay. I. They did. They did. Jason, you did Iowa last year, and then we also have dart targets, and they okay. had to deal with kids and stuff for for the three D arrow darts. I don't know if you've seen them online at all. We have yeah. After, once targets. we once I got the main K buck ordered, I had you know looked around the website a bit to see what else you guys had to offer. Uh, but either way, we had stumbled across uh, the man cave buck for a buck that I had shot up in uh, New York. Uh, it wasn't a big buck by any means. It was just a spike. Um, I've killed bigger bucks, but it was just the meaning behind the buck uh, that was special to me. And wanted to do something more than a euro mount, but didn't want to get too expensive with you know a, a full-on shoulder mount. Um, because, I mean, in our area, they're starting to get you know six $700 for a shoulder mount. I just couldn't see spending that kind of money. Um, and my brother actually had told me about the man cave buck, and that's you know where this kind of starts with us. Well, good. And you are, you hit the nail on the head exactly of how we designed this. Because remember, I'm in the taxidermy supply business. I own Revolution Taxidermy Supply. So if the taxidermist at first, when they see that I'm making a quote-unquote reproduction deer, you're trying to put us out of business. And my point is, no, this is not to replace the shoulder mount. This is to give the hunter another option if he wants to step up from a European mount. That's where it's at. And that's, I mean, you, I mean, you said it better than we could say it. I mean, that's just perfect. That's what it is. 
Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, it was right at the right price range um, for us. I mean, it, especially like, I mean, Euro mounts, we, we can do them ourselves, but I mean, if you're going to take it somewhere to have it professionally done with beetles or however somebody's going to do it, it's going to be north of a hundred bucks, um, at least in our area. And a shoulder mount, like I said, six, $700. And this buck's going in um, a cabin that's, you know, it's not heated or anything. It doesn't have, um, you know, not like proper security or something. So I didn't want to put like a full on shoulder mount in there, but the man cave buck just seemed to fit that niche that I didn't realize was there, I guess. Yeah. And see, we're right now, like I said, I'm a prototype maker. I can tell you about all these things I've got, but it's like, where can you go to get them? We're not set up for production on that now. And we've got so many items. So we're looking at where do we end up putting our time? And the man cave buck has gone over way better than I really thought it would go over. I mean, I knew it could, but I mean, just really, wow so but again we only have right now one mold they're all hand done so we're actually losing money on everyone because like i say I, we make prototypes and prototypes and productions are two different things oh yeah i work so, in that same sort of industry and in fabrication so i mean i understand oh, okay it. yeah prototypes yeah, so, can get very expensive <laughs> yeah and that's what these are so we're, we're having to work on our process of how to manufacture the raw part and then we're trying to make some things better and then how to paint them. And, you know, there's not a, there's a lot of things that we still have to perfect that we're working on before we take the next step and make the extra molds and, and go into the, to the production where we could advertise to, uh, you know, to sell a lot of them. Yeah. I think that was one of the big things that I liked about it was that they are hand painted right now. And I don't know if you guys plan on moving away from that, but that was no, a big, no, no, they're, they're going to be hand painted. Okay. Absolutely and we're going to offer them in three different colors. So there's going to be a course from a business standpoint, if these ended up becoming in the stores, you know, there has to be a base one that's going to be the base color and the base price. And so we're planning on having uh basically it's a gray one. Like I hunt out West in Montana every year and their deer out there are much lighter so that's going to be a, a lighter colored one, and then we're going to have more of a Midwest rich brown. And then I got the guy out in New York when we were at the ATA at the show there. They went crazy over this one to me that's almost black. And people really like the dark one, and I and here in Wisconsin they didn't. And that's that's kind of a tough thing for me from a business standpoint. You go in one place and one person likes this, you go another place they don't. So we're going to end up offering three different colors, and then we're going to have some different options as far as some different forehead color colors different throat patches, some some things that we can still do in a production basis that for say $25 more though, we can we can kind of customize it a little bit because the last thing I want to do is have this thing made in China where they all look the same. I, and I, uh, that's just not who I am. That may be a business way to do it, but it's just not who I am. I don't, money is not my number, everybody's money, money, money. Money's not my number one goal. I do things because I want to do them and try to have enough money <laughs> so I yeah. can do it. It's kind of like my expensive hobby making things like this. Yeah, we're in the same boat with like the podcast and stuff. We don't do this for money. It's strictly just because we enjoy it and like talking to like individuals like yourself. Um, and I like that you guys have several different options coming in the future because, you know, if somebody wants to put a couple of them in their house, even it'll still have that or like, or the man cave or wherever they're going to keep it, um, in the cabin or the barn or whatever. Um, they're going to have individual unique looks potentially if they'd like. Yes. Yep. We're going to have a couple, we're going to take that one that you have there. You'd notice it. His right shoulder is exposed. The other shoulder isn't and His head is straight out. That way we accomplish the design on that is to do two basic things. One is to make it so it's not stiff. If you see a straight mount, they're just stiff and straight. They look like they're at attention in the army. 
So this is relaxed with the shoulder like that, but yet with the head coming out straight, it's more universe where you put it. So we're going to do the exact same thing except the other shoulder. And then we're going to make one. And the next one we're going to do is we're still working out how to make one for shed antlers because that's going to be a big thing for this. People find shed antlers. they got a bunch of them. They don't want to spend the money on shoulder mounts. And this would be another alternative for that. And we did one prototype of that. But again, we dropped it. So we got to get back to that finishing. But that's what we're going to start out with this spring to summer is having those three options is where, what our plan is to begin with. You know, I, I think the shed antlers is going to be good too because I know like sometimes people find – you know, monster sheds that, you know, deserve more than the milk crate in the barn. Uh, it'd be cool to have it displayed, you know, in the garage or at the bar or whatever. And it seems like with, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's social media or what, but it seems like shed hunting is getting more and more popular. I think, yeah, now, social media definitely that. has a lot to do with that, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, I, I, I can't get over how big it is. People have dogs. I mm-hmm. mean, they have dogs just to do this. So we live in, in northwest Wisconsin where we have a small herd of elk but we live right in the community where they're planted. So, I mean, people come out here with dogs. I mean, they get the shed elk antlers. Yeah, we, we're, we're at in PA. Thing. We're like an hour and a half, two hours from where we have a small elk herd. And oh, you do? Yeah, yep. Yeah, right, uh, kind of like western central part of the state. Um, there's uh, It's actually called Elk County, believe it or not. Um, but really? they, there's a small herd, I think they've – was like 1100 or so yeah it's a little over a thousand animals um and we have a very small um conservation aspect to it where they allow i think one or two bulls and like half a dozen cows per year um it's a lottery system um residents and non-residents can all get in on it um it's like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um but but same what i guess what i was getting at with that is you can't find a shed of an elk down there because people literally like watch them until they drop and then they go after them, you know, and yeah. send dogs on them or whatever. They, they're they so yeah. highly sought after. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah I, I would love to be able to do that if I yeah. could. I think I'd really love that in the spring. But, that. you know, so, but mm-hmm. how far are you guys from Punxsy? Punxsutawney? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. We're probably under an hour from. Okay. No, we're farther than that oh, really? from Punxsutawney. Yeah, we're yeah. probably four or five hours oh, from really? Punxsutawney. Oh, okay, yeah. I guess I don't know where Punxsutawney is. Uh, we're as far northwest in Pennsylvania as you can get. We're just, right below the lake. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So we're you know like right up in that uh, northwest corner below Lake Erie, um, twenty minutes from Ohio, twenty minutes from New York. Okay. Oh, All right. So. That, the taxidermist that I work with out there is from Punxsutawney. There's guy. His name's Mark Jordan. He owns the Western Pennsylvania School of Taxidermy. I think I'm pretty sure I have a friend that just mm-hmm. graduated school through there. Um, he's a great guy. He's yeah, great she. Guy. I mean, her work is incredible. Um, she graduated probably a year ago. Or yeah, so, it was probably and, about a year ago. Um, her taxidermy yeah. work is phenomenal. So wow, I, that's great. Well, Mark's a good guy. I mean, he's just he is a great guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been out there twice to his shop and everything. And okay, so yeah, do you still do? A little bit of taxidermy, or have you pretty much dove into no, um, your? No, I haven't. Honestly, I haven't done taxidermy for a wow. I don't know twenty. We've we've oh. we're always on the move. I mean, I mounted that bear. If you saw that bear uh, pack frame, yeah, eighty-seven. You saw that there. I mounted that this last summer, 19, but I I only do eighty-seven. Eighty-seven is when we. Is that when we quit? Well, with taxidermy. But I mean, you know, we're still doing with. I mean, we still maybe mount things just to. To check our products out basically like i mounted that bear it's a bear i shot in canada and uh, i sh- i mounted that just for the photograph 
for a new product. It was the year oh, okay. when the guy that's doing the video work right now was born. That's when Jason was born. That's mm -hmm. Yep, when you get to be 64, time flies. All the years start meshing together. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. And right now at 64, my deal is I love to go out Montana elk hunting and my health and my knees and my weight. I try very hard, and so I know I'm limited. So that's a come with all our business stuff. I'm not going to get time back, and I don't pursue money. Yeah. And plus, yeah. you can't get tags out, so it's getting harder and harder and harder to hunt, to hunt out west. Yeah, as, as commercialized as hunting has become, it's just harder and harder to get into those western states i know talking to my grandfather he's in his mid-70s and he used to hunt uh, places like montana for whitetail and at that time nobody even cared about hunting whitetail he could go out there get tags over the counter for next to nothing anybody would let you go and hunt them and it's just times have totally changed over the years they have they have and, and i just i got a text a little bit ago from a guy that i know in rye hunting dillon montana and he just says they're going to start giving more and more tags to the outfitters, so that means it's going to be harder and harder for the out-of-state. In fact, this year in Idaho, I'd always get an over-the-counter tag, and you could just go out there and buy it. And this year, I heard they sold out at midnight. I mean, right off the bat, they opened it up at midnight, and they sold out. Wow. Yeah, so the demand of COVID has really put a big demand on people hunting, I guess. For sure, people are hunting outdoors. fishing, too. Um, it seems like, I don't know. I, we used to be big into steelhead fishing. That's really big oh. in this part of the state. Um, really? Yeah, it's. Oh, I don't. It's, I want to get into that. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We do it on mostly fly rods. Um, oh. But we used to have these like secret little honey holes that we could go to, and you wouldn't bump into another guy. But it seems like I don't know since COVID, everybody's been getting into it, and you can't find a spot to fish that's not shoulder to shoulder with people people have come up with guiding services in our area now you can pay to have a guide for steelhead fishing and all these spots that were you know just known to by the locals are now everybody can get to which i mean it's a good and a bad thing people are getting out there and enjoying it but it does suck to lose your honey yeah, hole it deep does it does yeah but we can't be i got a technical question on that because we i don't want it five times because we have we live about an hour and a half away from the one of the biggest steelhead streams in the midwest and I never caught a fish. And I watched all these people catching them and stuff. And I watched a video today uh, online, and there's something I cannot figure out. And that's how they fish steelhead with these beads. And they put the bead six inches away from the hook. And I go, how do you hook a fish when the bait, this bead, is so far away from the hook? I do not get it. Do you, you know the answer to that? Yeah, so I'm assuming you're talking about an egg pattern, um, which is something we run a lot up here. And actually, I don't know if... And correct me if I'm wrong, but the way it's set up is you've got like your egg, and then there's about six inches down below you've got your fly. Is that the way they've got it set up? Because no, there's I, actual. I, I guess what I'm getting at is there's typically at least where we're at, you'll have a small hook just below the egg, and then there's a uh, piece of line that comes off of your hook down to a fly about six to eight inches down. Well, that's two different things. But we okay. run, we yeah. typically run what we call a tandem rig, um, which is there's one singular bead. And then about an inch below that bead, um, we have a hook. Um, and then we tie a leader right onto that hook about a foot long. And then we tie a fly to the bottom of that. Um, so what that kind of paints the picture of for the steelhead is that there's a bead floating or a, a egg floating down the river and there's a bug going after it. So it triggers aggression for the steelhead that they need to get that egg before the bug does. I, you know, I'm checking all these videos I've never seen, and that works. 
But what are, do they hit the fly or do they hit the the, the fake egg? They're they're after the egg, but a yeah. lot of times you can catch them on the fly as well because I mean they'll eat both. Yeah, nine times out of ten, I catch them on the egg. Um, oh. But what you were talking about um, with the hooks six inches below the bead, I know yeah. um, a lot of times they'll hit that bead, and then when you set the hook, um, you kind of pull that line through their mouth, and then the mm-hmm. hook catches them right in the side of the mouth. Steelhead, but they have. You hook a, them on the outside of the mouth, though, and that'd be illegal, then, right? Not anywhere in the mouth is a legal catch. It's oh, like on the okay. inside, but like on the side of their mouth, like at the crease. Steelhead have a very, oh, very bony mouth, so to hook one in the top, like in the top or the bottom of the lip, um, they can spit the hook very easily. Mm-hmm. So the best spot to hook them is right in the corner of their mouth, where there's a little patch of skin uh-huh. where you can actually get the hook in there and not lose the fish okay all right now that that part of it i never i, I did not know because i just watched that video again today and i just i really want to get into steelhead fishing all that so yeah i've, I've never way. done that tactic i've always ran uh the tandem rigs and th- that's really worked well for me wow Hey, I, I got to be running this podcast. So I can ask you guys all these technical questions so I can learn. <laughs> yeah, we can. Like, we'll talk. We'll talk panic. steelhead. Can you get rid of my target panic for me. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're still working on that ourselves. Um, but on, uh, I guess transitioning over, um, you know, from the man cave buck. Like I said, when I was looking at buying the man cave buck, I, you know, poked around the website uh, a little bit and saw that you guys had a few other products that look like they're up for production now. Um, like you could order if you wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, maybe like the dartboards um, and your uh, Booner decoys as well. Okay, yeah, th- those are two things we do, yep. Well, okay, the Booner decoys, uh, the origin of that was there's a famous archer named Jack Frost. He's a surgeon in Anchorage, Alaska. He's one of the original Pope and Young record holders of getting the Grand Slam. And he wanted me to make a hat for him for hunting up there in Alaska for, uh, for goats. So, and like I said, I'm crazy, and I like, I like to do this stuff. It's what I do. So we ended up making some decoy hats. And, uh, and it's again, it's a fun thing for me to do, and we enjoy painting. But we've got right now, we have a white-tailed deer, and we painted also for a black tail out for an organ. And then we've got antelope and elk. And, uh, yeah, the goat. And the, the, Well, we paint the same goat. We paint it for a sheep, different colors, what we do. And I am such a good elk hunter. I'm going to brag right now. We've been out four <laughs> years with this hat, <laughs> and we've never had an elk even see it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good camo. So, yeah, everybody asks me how good it works, and I go, well, well. Once you put it to the test, you'll start letting them know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. We, it's kind of neat. We have like one of our the rep for us on the hat, believe it or not, in Alaska is Frank Noska. And he is the only two-time Grand Slam archery holder in the world. And you, and you know this guy? Oh, he's the rep for us up in Alaska. Wow. Well, we're going to have to see if we can't get that contact from you after this. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's uh, Frank Noska. You, if you check into, if you get, if we go to the ATA, if you guys go there, that's the world of the elites. Yeah. I mean, the people that got the money and the, I mean, there are people that, I mean, I mean, you're going to see, Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's a celebrity and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of turn-off stuff there. When you've got a business, people are always sucking you up for money. Give me this free, and I'll do that for you type stuff. But yeah. you get to meet people like Jack Frost and then this Frank Noska. And, again, when I met Frank Noska, 
I had never heard of him. I don't live in that world. He told me this stuff. I didn't believe him because he's kind of a goofball there. Because he was throwing the darts at our target. He's wearing these hats around like a little kid. And here it turns out he's a UPS pilot. He writes all these articles. He's the real deal. I just read an article from his and how dedicated he is up in the mountains in Alaska. Wow. But see, he's, he's, he's an airplane pilot. He's got his own plane. So he'll fly and hunt Kodiak brown bears by himself. Fly there and go in and hunt him by himself, which is not safe. But no. <laughs> he, he's, you know, I guess, you know, like everything in the world, there's people that are good at what they do, and that's what he does. But, but he's the real deal. You check out Frank Noska. Yeah, we'll definitely look him up. Uh, it's funny that you bring up Alaska too, because Frank, um, I guess just a little backstory on us. Frank, uh, with us here, he's about two years ago started working on getting his guide license up in Alaska, um, and the reason he started that is his dad's been doing it for like 20 years. Um, so he, they've up been in up, Alaska? Yep, up yep. in Alaska. He's been up there. Um, they guide moose and brown bear. Um, they I believe they used to do caribou, but they're closed in the units that they're Yeah, the area that in. we hunt, you can't hunt caribou in anymore. But, yeah, we still do moose and brown bear hunts every year. So it was kind of wow. neat that you have that little connection up in Alaska, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know something that's kind of interesting, Pennsylvania and caribou? I'm working on right now, my patent attorney is in, uh, out in where, where's he out of Pittsburgh? Yeah, he's, he's out there in Pittsburgh, I think it is. And uh, he's a world-class hunter. He's one of these elites that travels. When you charge 700 bucks an hour, you can kind of be that way. <laughs> he's a super, super good guy. In fact, I met him through Mark Jordan at the Western Pennsylvania School of Tax. His name is Tom Edgington. And so he's going up caribou hunting, and he wanted a caribou. Now, I don't have a caribou hat. And he goes, Brian, those caribou will come in to antlers in the exact same way that uh, turkey will come into fan. So I'm working with him now to make him a custom set of antlers that we're going to try to figure out how to put on an elk hat, which are going to paint like a caribou, and he's going to go up there, and if it works, he's going to do an article in Bowhunter Magazine. And I'm doing all that for him just for free, just hmm. because he's treated me good. He hasn't charged me 700 bucks an hour. And he's <laughs> treated me good, and, and he's a great guy. And, uh, and it's that again, that's the stuff I like to do. But Yeah, it's good so exposure, too, I mean, to get a guy like that to use your products up there and test them out for you. Yeah, but here's the problem again. Okay, let's say it works. I don't have a caribou hat. And these, <laughs> antlers I'm, these antlers I'm making for him, we're just taking pink foam and carving it up, and then I'm going to get him. He, he sent me a pattern. I haven't opened it up, and I'm just going to carve them out, send them back to him. He's going to get some epoxy, which doesn't eat foam. Regular fiberglass will eat foam. So he's going to do that, and then we're going to work together on how we're going to attach the two of them to this hat because it's got to be lightweight. It's got to be backpackable and stuff, and we don't want it to break too easy. So, uh so and he's got to get it up there through a plane. and. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but when it's all said and done, I'm not going to get nothing out of it because for me to then take that back and make a good pair and actually mold it, well, these molds that we make, that's thousands of dollars doing all this stuff. So it's, yeah. you know, like I want to do something for moose hunting. I want to make, uh, what I want to do is make two moose antlers that would be separate. They'd be, they, they'd be concave convex, so they fit in each other perfectly. And then it'd be designed to do two things. I'd pour it so there'd be plywood inside it so you could rake on a tree, so it'd be, it'd be, it'd give you a, a bang noise, not out of just foam, you know, it, it, would, that, it would come through, and it'd have to be some really good stuff that wouldn't break, and then the other thing is, they would fit together with handles that would be dovetailed, so you just pull them out of your backpack, you throw them together, and you hold on to them, and now you've got a wide rack, so you could do, I don't know what they call that, when the moose goes that sway and back and forth like that, mm-hmm. so, but, but again, would I ever make any money and sell a bunch of them? Probably not, but would I like to do it? Yeah, I'd like to do it. <laughs> well, like you said, it's mm-hmm. kind of like your expensive hobby. 
<laughs> yeah, except my wife's kind of thinking the expenses should go in, go into the fireplace she wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so what about these uh, dartboards that you were talking well, about? Well, the dartboards, that is uh, it's, it's a cross. If you were to take a dart target and a 3D archery target and combine them together, that's what you'd have. So it's basically uh, archery foam, and we have a patent on a what we call an arrow dart. And all we did is we take the length of a dart and the weight of a dart, and we made it into a miniature arrow, and we put the barrel that's on the dart. That's the heavy part. And we weighed that down so you could take a miniature arrow and attach that to it, and you throw it. So you actually, so it's, it's neat because it's like 3D archery. When you shoot the dart, we use... Uh, an Arizona Fletcher, that is the most helical of any Fletcher out there as far as make the arrow spin. So if you throw it fast, it spins. And it's really cool, and it scores just like a 3D art tar dart target, 3D arrow target. So, and then we've got different things on that where we've got, a, we want to set leagues up for that, but again, like I say, I'm a prototype maker, we don't do it, but we have in our leagues, we have some different things that we do for a contest. We have an artificial tree where you th throw the dart through a hole in the tree, you throw it up over branches. You have one you throw underhand. We have another one where you have six arrow darts, two guys in 10 seconds. You go and you mark your set goal. There's a buzzer. You hit it, and you've got three targets that you throw two darts at a piece, try to knock the other guy's dart out. It's designed to be fun. It's not designed for traditional darts as muscle memory, the same thing over and over, and you've got to have these yeah. great skills. Luke here is designed with different fun games. We've done that at the ATA two years in a row, and we've got trophies there, and it's gone over real well except it gets to be so busy keeping score it became a you know we need a, a, a more science a more uh, electronic system to keep score but but uh, that's that's again one of the many things as you can see by talking to me we got half done that, yeah. uh, that we do want to go with so. <laughs> no those i like when i saw those i thought about how much fun that could be at you know hunting camp putting that up on the wall yep that's and, exactly right you know everybody's exactly sitting at the right. table maybe having a beer after a hunt and instead of pulling out your bows and shooting off the back porch you can just you know, throw darts and, you know, as you're practicing, but be a fun game for me anyway, because I'm not much of a card player at hunting camp. Yeah, um, you, 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 boy, you're, you think exactly the way that we think, because that's <laughs> exactly what it's designed for. And I'll tell you another cool thing, which we haven't brought up into that is we use Bogan. I don't know if you know who Tim Wells is on that Restless Pursuit or Relentless, uh, relentless No, pursuit. I'm not familiar. Well, anyway, he's, he's one of the big name TV shows, but anyway, he's killed a bear with a blowgun. I mean, he's That's impressive. Yeah, he did. It's on tape. You can you go on YouTube and you check out Tim Wells with uh, Killing a Bear and you'll see it. You but said anyway, he's on Relentless Pursuit? He is Relentless Pursuit. Okay, That's yeah, I've up. definitely seen that show. Yep, yep. No, he's one of the big ones and stuff. He's very interested in our dark targets. He's wanted us to make one specifically for him and stuff. But again, we're so busy with, you know, I sculpted all the Reinhardt yeah. Archery targets. I got all these things going. But, uh, Anyway, we took a blowgun, the one that he uses. It's made by Cold Steel. And you shoot that into the, these 3D arrow things. Oh, man, that that's that honestly is the big thing in the future. That is really fun. Because you can go way fun. back. Yeah. And you shoot these bamboo uh, darts. Bamboo, what, what are they called? The blowgun. Blowgun, yeah. But what do you call the thing that blow you... Darts? The blow darts. Yeah. Is that what they're called? But anyway, they're bamboo. They stick in there really neat. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's really cool. So, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what it is. Is it's fun, and we try to make them so good that they're a decorative piece. But like the man cave concept, you'd hang that in your house, and it looks so. It, it looks good. You know, it's not Chinese made. These things are. If you would see the hundreds 
hundreds of hours that we've been trying to paint these things. Because some things are painted in molds, some things are post mold. You got to put this color here. How are we going to do this here? What about that angle there? I mean, when I say hundreds of hours, I'm not kidding. Well, the man cave buck we've had out for a year and a half, and we're not even close to having it down on our painting systems and how we're doing it. That's still a process, but I mean, I'll tell you what, with what you guys have so far, it looks really good. I was super um, impressed with how it's turned out. I have to make money, and I'm losing money on it. That's <laughs> <the problem. laughs> Hold off we're, on the sales. We're <laughs> losing money on our podcast, too, but we it's definitely still, enjoy doing it. So, so how do you how do you lose money in a podcast? I'm, so, I'm old, this is the only I've yeah. never listened to a podcast. I've never been on Facebook in my life. So yeah. I'm, so a podcast is basically uh, it's like radio, like internet radio essentially. Um, okay. It's like a talk show, I guess, if you think of it that way. Um, we produce an episode every week um, and put it out on it's on Sundays. Um, but basically, you have to pay for like a host, if you will. Like you have to upload the podcast to a host, like which is like on the internet. And then that just like that host distributes your podcast to all the major platforms, and you just have to pay to keep that up. Um, oh, so you got to pay to have this podcast out there. Yep. Yeah. So it basically you pay for storage. Um, okay. Because so you know how do you we're make money on it. Then how do you get your money? People back ha- people have like sponsors on their podcasts and stuff. So like you can you know say. Reinhardt Deer Targets, you know, sponsors the podcast. They cover that kind of stuff. Okay. So um, who are your sponsors? Right now, we don't run sponsors. Um, we kind of, like, first off, we started off just as, you know, to do it for fun for ourselves. Um, and we kind of like the idea of it being just unsponsored because then we can talk about whatever we want. We can talk to whoever we want. Um, because, you know, say say we're sponsored by, you know, X bow company. Uh, we can't talk to the why bow company because you know we're getting paid by another so it's nice for us and our listeners so we can give a honest opinion on what we're talking about yeah, i like that oh, I, I like uh, i like that a lot so i like that a lot so i mean it, it's not much like it's not like we're going crazy in debt we just got to pull out of our beer drinking money and produce the podcast so, so it's, you guys it's fun. yourself, you guys are kind of like a hunting club, or are you just a bunch of hunter buddies with each other? Uh, so we're family, actually. Um, myself, Nick, um, I'm, I produce the podcast, um, and I got my brother Tom, and Frank is my our cousin. Okay, but you're doing this because you guys are active hunters and fishermen. Yep. Yeah, we're yep. big time into fishing and uh, hunting, and Frank's even into guiding. So we, we're just all inclusive for the outdoors, and basically we were. All, all three of us are always together, and we're always talking, hunting, and fishing. And we noticed podcasts were starting to take off, and we figured, you know, might as well put a mic in front of us and record basically what we always talk about anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's been fun. That's pretty. That's um, pretty. That, that's pretty neat. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's given us an outlet to talk to, um, you know, a business like yours. You know, I bought the product just because I liked it, you know, and then after, you know, me, my dad and my brother Tom here spent an hour and a half in the garage and it came out really well. And I was like, man, that's really interesting. And I, nobody I know has ever used one. So we were like, well, you know, we can hopefully reach out to you guys. Um, and then, you know, everybody that listens to our podcast can hopefully, um, look into it, seeing if it's something mm-hmm. they're, they'd be interested in. So just kind of wow. share our knowledge with other people. That's and, pretty, are you guys mostly bull hunters or what, what's the, What's your number one passion? Bow hunting is all of our number one passion. Um, where, but, where do you bow hunt at? Is it so mostly, I, I mentioned out west. I take it you don't go out west, or I would have got a pipe out of you. Yeah, we, we don't. We we'd like to, but just haven't haven't gotten out there. The farthest 
uh, Frank's hunted out in Nebraska, mm-hmm. um, and I've me and my brother have hunted uh, turkeys out in Kansas. But for the most part, uh, our hunting is done up in Pennsylvania and New York. Um, oh, right, right around there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark Jordan's trying to get me to come and hunt turkeys out there. It's a lot of fun chasing turkeys out here. They say I've never shot a turkey. Never they they say if you can kill a turkey in Pennsylvania, you can kill a turkey anywhere. Um, oh, because you mean they're hunted so much? Yeah. yeah. So we have like. Up there with Michigan, some of like the most hum- hunters. Going to Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, we've got more more hunters per square mile than I think any other state up there with Michigan. Um, so the turkeys wow. around here are extremely educated. So if you can, if you could figure out how to kill them here, um, you should be able to go back to your home state mm-hmm. and kill them left and right. Wow, but you guys do get them though. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay, so you're good at that, and you and you bow hunt there too yeah we're big into archery hunting i mean we've all got several bucks with um bows but we're also enjoy the tradition behind uh gun season as well oh okay fishing um a lot of trapping as well basically anything outdoors we're involved in some degree i mean even past couple years we picked up uh hunting rattlesnakes in the in the mountains here in pennsylvania oh really Uh, wow yeah Yeah, i don't know you probably didn't keep up but in wisconsin they just opened up to buy licenses Tuesday, a day, today's Wednesday, yesterday, to be able to do a hunt for wolves in Wisconsin, which I believe is open. Can you imagine this? You're applying for a license on Tuesday, and the hunt opens the following Monday. Hmm. Wow. I did see an article on Facebook, I think it was yesterday, about that wolf hunt in Wisconsin. Yeah. We be... live right in the middle of all the wolves. So you, you guys have a pretty big wolf problem in your area then? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They're all over. All over. There's really? You go, yes, all over. All of we have predators. We had, we live in the boreal forest area of Wisconsin, which is like Canada. It's just balsams. It's just junk, marsh, and swamp. So our deer populations virtually are not there. And we had this last summer. I know every year, because I mean I feed them every day and have food plant and I work. I see them right out my window. And we lost this last summer three fawns. We only had four, and we lost our main doe. And so I'm left with two adult does that are three and a half and one fawn. Wow. That's it. That's all from predators, and that happens all the time. We hardly ever see a doe with twin fawns. So they just don't—they just don't live here. I mean, they got bad winters. It's, everything up here is, is tough. And we have bears, we have fishers, we have bobcat, and these are all the animals that I see routinely and stuff. I mean, we got bobcats up on our deck. We had to keep the bears away, and I mean, wow. we have more wildlife around. We have the wolves right here in the backyard. I got it, and I've got all this stuff on film. That are, they're collards, so I found out. I went to talk to the wolf biologist so he knows where they live. I had to chase them off my deck. It kept coming back and throwing apples or tomatoes at it to get it to leave. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, we love the wildlife, and we, we take, like, I shot that bear in Canada, so then I, I take the grease because if bears, I don't know if in Pennsylvania, but a lot of bears have got trichinosis, and I've seen the worms, you know, really freaky out and grossed out. So when I take the scraps out, I just cook it in the oven to make sure I kill it. It's got to be 140 degrees. And then I throw it out for the fox and stuff. Well, it turns out, and I talked to a bear guide, he said it's true. I poured the grease from the bear on the ground, and this wolf came and was eating the dirt. Hmm. And he said, no, that doesn't surprise him at all. He's got to watch what he puts out when he puts grease out bear hunting here in Wisconsin. The wolves will come in and eat it. So that's, I guess, yeah. that's normal. But this wolf was a female, and uh, he was, she just completely ignored us. I mean, she's just like, no big deal. Kid is mowing the ground. I mean, you just you just wouldn't believe it. The male that was with her would not get near us. But I showed I showed the pictures to the wolf biology. He said she must have been really hungry. She had teats, so she had some young ones, and she uh, must have really been hungry. Wow. 
I didn't realize yeah, I guess they no, had that big of a wolf problem. No, we have wolves all over around here. Interesting. I hope they can keep them out west. We don't need those out here. <laughs> our coyote yeah, population's well, already out of hand. Shoot them. Yeah, well, they're going to... They're talking tonight. The wolf season was on as of Monday. You could apply Tuesday, and they're saying tonight a judge might have ruled against it, and it might be off again. Wow. Hmm. So, so now we live in Indian country, and that's seeded. So the 200 they're going to kill, I guess the Indians are going to... You know how it gets into politics and all this. So yeah. Who knows? Yep. So, and I, I don't have a way to hunt them. I guess they hunt them over traps. And I know a guy puts deer carcasses out shoot coyotes. He could shoot a wolf that way, but I don't have... Yeah. Where I live, if I were to put a carcass out and have wolves come in here, the neighbors, the people around here would not like that. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah, you know, they have dogs or something like that. They're not coming up yeah. here, though. So, but, so. so, well, that's really neat what you guys are doing. Doing. I really appreciate the fact that you're not sponsored so you can speak freely on things. Yeah, it's it's been a, a good outlet for us. Like I said, we we don't – we I mean, we've had some smaller companies approach us for it, um, and it, it just – it's not – we wouldn't want to have a sponsor that we wouldn't, you know, openly use and recommend to our listeners and stuff. And right now it's just been a good flavor for us to work this way. Um, and you do it once a week. Yep. Yeah. We podcast every week. Um, we haven't missed a week and this will be 61 weeks. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you get into different hunting tactics? Yeah. Like so we'll, we cover like uh, hunting, we cover fishing, trapping, um, different species we've whatever time of year it is whatever is going on that time of year that's what we're talking about yeah so we figured you know hunting season's over people are trying to figure out what they're doing with you know the buck that they left on the wood pile um, thought that this would be a good time to talk about another avenue for displaying your trophy yeah and do you guys have do you have your archery season during the rut there where it's not gun season yeah so we we finish up um archery season like november 14th usually uh, mid-november um, yeah mid to end of november um but typically what we do is just head across the border over to new york and finish up their bow season which goes till the 29th oh so you have so. two states there but there's no gun season going on at the same time. Nope, no gun season starts uh the saturday before thanksgiving um, in New York in the Saturday okay. after Thanksgiving in PA. So, Okay. But you guys, as far as hunting lands, I'm, I'm going somewhere with these questions. But no, you're good. You guys, the hunting land in Pennsylvania is locked up. So I take it you're hunting just small parcels that are in your family or your cousins. Or yeah, your for the most part. We hunt small parcels yeah. um, in PA. We, we really don't dabble much in public land. Um, okay. It's mostly private parcels you know family farms or uh small leases and mm-hmm. of that if nature. we travel to other states like when i went out to nebraska and when you guys were out in kansas we would hunt public land out there we've gone to maryland turkey hunting we hunt public there okay. but around right where we live we pretty much only do private land the yeah, trouble okay. with public in pennsylvania is there is so many hunters per square mile that sure. you can't if you go opening day of gun season public land you can't look around you and not see other hunters within, you know, a couple hundred yards of you. Yeah. Makes it tough. Yeah, I'm good. It's just the reason where I was going with this is with my hats I did, the decoy hats. I have an idea, and my wife and I tried it, but we don't have any deer here, of how to use the hats for a completely different way of hunting white-tailed deer than anybody's ever hunted them before. And uh, But the problem is you blow the deer out of an area, so you've got to have – 
a lot of land that you can say, let's go here, let's go there, let's go there, and you're not worried about blowing them out. You need, yeah, you need like the plains in Nebraska or Kansas or something with, to try something like that. Uh, yeah. Are you, are you familiar with like white tail adrenaline? Um, they're a TV show that I get. Well, they're only on DVD, um, but they they do spot and stock uh, white tail hunting with uh, traditional archery equipment. Um, wow. and, and they basically wow. chase whitetails over the plains and stuff and kind of sounds similar to what you're alluding to. Yeah, our, this is a completely different technique. And basically what it, what we did, and of course we never saw it, <laughs> just like my okay, I never saw a deer. So <laughs> it's all hypothetical, but, but it, it was really fun. It'd be the most exciting way there is that basically, I, I got to think about how this went, but if you think, if, if you're sitting in the woods and you all of a sudden hear crash, 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 you know, and then you hear silence, and then you hear, you hear after that, you hear, er, er, er. you know there's a buck chasing the doe, because you heard the doe run away, he stops, then you hear the buck comes going at half speed you know, with his head to the ground, but, but you're hearing the noise, so you, so you know what that's, what that is, right? Yeah. Well, but this idea we had here is, is my wife and I would, went, well, let's see how we did this, she went and ran like she was a doe through the woods, so you're literally running, trying to make noise, setting up on a ridge so where the deer are upwind of you they can't see you you know you, you do a setup it's just like elk hunting and then she'd run and try to but wasn't a very good runner to sound like a deer but sounds like a deer running and stop so that way any deer that hears it would have their attention what is that noise is, is that a deer is that a hunter is that a bear is that a wolf i mean up here what, what, what is it and then afterwards, we'd let the silence go down for a few seconds, and then I would go, step, 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 you know, because you know how the bucks, they don't, they don't run as much. They, goes, they do a fast trot walk. Yeah. And then I would go, er, 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 er. And then we, anyway, long story short, we'd do that, then we'd go back to where we were at, and then we would come back, and I would set up with my bow. She would be there, and, and the object would be the deer heard a, a buck, would hear a buck chasing a doe, and you know when that happens, they, they're going to come they in. They get real territorial. So they, Yes, and then he, he's going to come in, and then she was going to be there on her knees w with a hat, and because our hat is made not primarily to wear on your head. We have a, a handle that goes inside it so you can lift it up so you're down on your knees, you lift it up, so it's just like a deer lifting its head up from feeding. But she was gonna, then going to have it like it's rubbing on a tree. So the buck's going to come in and see that. There's that buck there rubbing on a tree. We had some other doe hats hanging there, and then I was set up like when you'd hear him come running in, I would set up just like elk hunting. And always had fun. Instead of sitting in a tree for all day, you're going over here, let's do a setup here, let's do this, here's the wind. It was really, really fun. And I would just love, it'd be a, it's a completely different way of hunting. Oh, for sure. I've so, but you've got to have a lot of public land that you, you know, that you can blow the deer out of and that doesn't bother. And going out west, if you don't have leaves, you need branches to go crunch, 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 you know, so you're really running through. Because yeah, you you're might, purposely making a great deal yeah, of Yeah, you may be able to get that in, like, the PA Mountains down, like, the Allegheny National Forest. Um you know, more towards the center of the state, down through those mountainous parts of PA. There's a lot bigger chunks of land. But, like, up where we're at, it's a lot of ag fields and stuff, and there's just not the, the room, I guess. Oh, yeah, plus you'd, you'd end up blowing the deer out of there, which you wouldn't want to do. So, But up yeah. here where we live, it's almost all public land. But that's the problem. There's hardly any deer, and there's land goes for miles and miles and miles and miles. Yeah. So, but... Anyway, there'll be some food for thought for you if you ever have a crazy idea and you, hey, let's do something really different. That's uh No, I definitely like it. It's because I mean, I'm big into turkey hunting. I like the aspect of 
calling to an animal and trying to bring that animal into you. So that's kind of like putting a different twist on whitetail hunting where you're using more vocalizations than you normally would to try and draw the animal yeah, and, and you're, you're actually at. getting to run, and so you're making a noise with the deer. You know, you hear a deer running through the woods, you watch it. They're actually hearing that because you figure when they rattle, you know, you're up in a tree and you just rattle. Well, where's where's the deer? Where Where's the deer moving? Where's the other buck that's there? So you see them coming in all the time on TV, and they look around and go on, huh, this doesn't quite look so good. Then they take off, so. See, Nick but, will laugh at me because when I'm calling deer, uh, I really only hunt from a tree stand, uh, but during the rut, I'm – very vocal with my calling and Nick's been within you know a couple hundred yards of me hunting before and when I rattle um, I start off by smacking my rattle bag as hard as I can against the tree to just create that loud crash and then as I'm rattling I like to try and find like a branch or something to rake through the leaves around me try and make as much noise as possible to try and paint okay. that picture of two bucks actually fighting because if two bucks are really going at it, you're not just going to hear the clash of their antlers. You're going to hear all the sticks breaking and the leaves rumbling and them crashing in and off of trees and whatnot. So that's kind of like what I try and paint the picture of when I'm trying to call deer from a tree stand. So have you ever had a buck come in when you do that? Absolutely, yeah. Wow. That must be really exciting. Yeah. It, it definitely gets the blood flowing. Yeah. Well, uh, Brian, before we wrap things up, I didn't want to give you an opportunity, I guess, if there's anything else that we missed that you wanted to cover um, before we close off here. I know we've got you here for about an hour now. I appreciate all the time you've given us for this, but um, if you've yeah, got anything no, else to talk about. Yeah, just the one other product that we have. It, it's not a big deal, but it really uh, it can actually help a person get deer's cut. Did you see on there that are arrow quivers? Are they on the website? I'm not even sure if they're on there. Uh, there was a hook quiver. Okay, there's a hook quiver, and that's made for tip-up fishing. But what the arrow quiver is, uh, if you've ever, if you've done a lot of bow hunting, you spine a deer, they're flopping on the ground there, and you got to pick it, you got to get another arrow to finish them off. And we call it the final shot arrow quiver, uh, and/or if you miss, because what happens, I'm, I imagine, if you're like most people, I found, including myself, when you're hunting out of a tree, you take your quiver off. Yep. And yep. So you've got one arrow, and if you shoot or miss or you find it, now you got to go back down and you got to get to your quiver and pop an arrow out. What this little uh, final shot arrow quiver is, is it's designed, I mean, they're only like, I don't know, five bucks. You can either attach it to a tree with a screw or glue, and it just all it is, it just holds the arrow. It's just a piece of foam with a slot in it, basically, that you just squeeze it into, and it pops in, and you pull it, plops right out. And I glue one to my bow. And so that way... Like I shot an antelope out west one year and it wasn't dead, and so I had to sneak up on it. And my quiver is in the way, so I just I just put take one arrow and I have it on there, and it's always there, so it doesn't add any extra weight. So, gotcha. and again, the only reason I'm saying that is you know it's not a big money maker for me, but again, it's a thing that can help a person to be able to kill more deer. Yeah, it's absolutely. A no, I mean, I've, I'll be honest, I've been stuck in that position, and so is Frank. With you know, you hit a deer in the spine that they're not going anywhere. Um, but you got to send a second arrow. Um, it's, I think any hunter that's been doing it long enough has at some point in their life, they'll have an opportunity where they need to throw a second arrow. Um, you know, yep. That's, that's all that is. Maybe, uh, but it's called the final shot arrow quiver. I mean, if you call Jason back, I could have to send you some. And, uh, 
it's just a piece of foam, but it's, it doesn't weigh anything, and it, it's 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 a neat thing. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again um, for spending the last hour telling us about your stuff, and thank you for you know making the man cave buck. I think it was it fit what I needed, you know, right in the middle, you know, like, like you guys designed it for, you know, it's a little bit more than a Euro mount, but considerably less than a shoulder mount, but still does a really great job. I mean, I've got it hanging in the barn, uh, between some real shoulder mounts and you walk into the barn and, you know, as soon as you open the overhead door in the barn, you can't really tell that it's fake until you get up closer to it to realize that it's foam. Um, but it looks really good on the wall. Um, the detail is incredible. Well, 40 years of studying those things. Just By the way, if you guys want to get, you're giving us all this free publicity, if you guys want to put whatever you could so we put it on our website about all that stuff. Jason's saying, yep, he's, he says we'll get that. So, But anyway, whatever we can do there. Okay. Yeah, well, we definitely right, appreciate it. talking to you guys. Yeah, it was good. We'll, it was definitely fun. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. It was a lot yeah. of fun. I guess I didn't realize how many avenues this could have went. I didn't realize you guys dove so deep into, like, this was a, a – section of a bigger business um so well it's not much of a business it's products we've got skull yeah. covers i'm a green bay packer fan i got a whole line of packer hats i <laughs> <laughs> so, got all kinds of crazy things i mean things i like got artificial bear noses i mean just so you carve all the cheese heads that people are wearing at the games no no actually that's a business i've lost my shirt at you know that that's patented you know, that, that and the problem is i can't get any traction on any of these because you got to sell them in nfl license approved shops and the people that sell that stuff you know you got to pay thousands of dollars yeah i'm it's, sure that's a yeah that's a you got to get a card outside the packer stadium and sell them yeah, right yeah, we, straight we, to consumer some of that. oh okay yeah, we, Look at but that. the problem is, is ours are, are a better foam, and we paint them, and so they're better, higher price. They're not this cheap junk stuff, you know. But yeah, well, you'll have it. You'll have your cheese head for every game, not just that Sunday. <laughs> well, we've got to, like I say, I'm 64, and I want to get on to the Wisconsin School of Chainsaw Carving. I want to have that online course because I got a lot of technical things there that when I quit the school to do these other things that I want to put together there. And this anatomy deal, it's just wrong that this anatomy thing is not put out there for the public. Because once you shot this and you did this, it all makes common sense, and it's scientific, and it's there, and it, it needs to be there. I mean, it's going to have – it's going to – my my phrase is, um, what is it, more more meat in the freezer and less food for the coyote, something like that. No, it makes, I like it. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. be looking for it. I hope it – you like you can get it to market uh, or if Reinhardt well, does see, it. Well, Reinhardt owns it. Reinhardt yeah. owns it, but I, I'm – but he's interested in making the dart targets for us, so I might do a little bit of negotiating on some of this. But I have to have the time to hold these seminars and spend a lot of time to be able to do it. So, yeah. But. All right. So, well, all right. Great talking to you yeah, guys. Yeah. Thanks again. Uh, we'll keep in touch and see what else is cooking throughout the year. Thanks again, guys. All right. Thanks. Bye. Yep. yep thanks. Bye. Yeah, I didn't realize that like they were like that far into like. Everything. All those other things, like the chainsaw carving, and like I didn't realize that he worked with Reinhardt and stuff, like or his own taxidermy business. Yeah, like, that was one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to. Yeah, yeah. he had a lot to talk about. That was super cool. Yeah, I was I would not definitely expecting. like to have him back on. Yeah. It was like it totally because all I knew about was Revolution Innovations. Yeah, that's what I thought we were talking about, and then like we started talking about the um, like the target that he was saying with like all the different angles and stuff. It's super interesting. Like I was, yeah, the dude's like a scientist. Like yeah, and just seems like he like well it's neat because he i mean he's bursting with ideas and he yeah. is working on bringing them 
to market. Like it's not mm-hmm. just like a mess of ideas. It's you can tell just by talking to him the amount of passion he has yeah. for his trade. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, you guys learned something from that. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah, I had a, a blast for that one. That was, was fun. He's a good guy. Um, so if you guys are in the market for displaying a rack that you can't justify spending 700 bucks on the mount, uh, but it deserves more than a skull mount, like a Euro, uh, check out Revolution Innovations. Um, pick yourself up a man cave buck and let us know how it goes. Um, other than that, make sure you guys are liking and subscribing wherever you're listening. Uh, keep buying merch, supporting that. And follow um, uh, Revolution Innovations on Instagram. Yes, that's what it's called. I wasn't yeah. sure what their Instagram handle nope. was. Revolution Innovations. Um, it's a big R uh, is their profile picture. But uh, along with that, make sure you guys are all just getting outside. <laughs>